As I speak the words, allow them to see you through them. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I think I'm already on my own. Yeah. Well, maybe. All right. Can y'all hear me? Yeah. All right. So I had a sermon prepared. It was written, PowerPoint done. We were ready to roll. And then I, Scott and I needed to do a few things here last night. So he and I came. We were here for about an hour and a half. And I was working on one of the songs that we're going to sing last. And everything changed. So as you can tell, the new sermon is Lessons from Camp. Now a lot of you know how I feel about camp. Those are my favorite weeks of the year. I love it. I love every minute of it. I love the exhaustion. I love the running around like crazy people. I love the yelling and the screaming. And I love those moments when the worship band comes up and you have a hundred plus kids rush the stage. It smells. I'm not going to lie. Okay. But they're standing there and they are worshiping. I can't tell you the last time I heard Gabe and Roxton sing in church. They sang this week. But this year was a little different. It was a whole lot different for me. I didn't have the enormous amount of energy that I typically walk into camp with. I didn't even know if I was going to have enough in my tank to get through the first night. I was empty, and I was completely empty. And the harder part to understand was I didn't know that until that moment. Y'all know what the last five months have looked like. It hasn't been an easy road. And a lot of it, I've smiled. I've done what I needed to do. And we survived it. But I didn't fully understand the enormity of what it had, of the toll that it had taken. Poor Ashley Reese, she is going to have 12 different stones in her crown. Because when I finally broke, it was her that held me. This is why I didn't want to preach on this. I knew that things were going to look different this year at camp. I knew that our morning sessions were going to look completely different than what they had in years past. And I didn't know if I was prepared to walk into that. So in years past, our morning sessions 
were called um, experiences. That's the word I was looking for. And we went down to the shelter. Usually it was Josh Baker or someone like that would give us scripture. He would tell a story. And then we had a hands-on experience that we would do as a group, usually as a cabin, sometimes as a youth group. And then we sat down and we debriefed it. There were soul-searching questions for how we take this information, and I'm going to, like, hurt myself, how we take that information and how we apply it to our, to our own lives. As I began to read through the, the packet that we had, it was a little bit scary for me because there were things in there that... I needed to unpack, that I needed to start with. It was scary, but it was encouraging. So then you have to look, it was cabin time. So you had a cabin, in our cabin we had 16 girls, three adults, and we had three separate churches represented. We had two from Greenwood Hills, we had one from Christ Westland, and the rest of them were from Mount Airy. And I'm going to tell you, being a smaller church in that situation can be intimidating. Because you walk into these sessions not knowing anybody, but they all know each other. It's intimidating, isn't it, Emma? (laughs) But God worked in those moments, didn't he, Emma? To the point that even our, our quietest girls were opening up and speaking by the end of the week. So what did I learn at youth camp this week? A little scary. It was in these sessions that we met Elijah and Elisha, right? And I still got them confused. They still laughed at me. It was awesome, but it was Okay. We're going to talk about four, five points. This is going to be pretty quick. But the first lesson we learned came from Elijah. And God whispers in the chaos. He doesn't come in the loudness. He comes in those whispers. Elijah had to prove, he had just proven that he knew who the one true God was. And Jezebel was angry. He had ran and he had hid. God had sent his angels and nursed him back to health. He ate, he slept. He was finally physically and mentally ready to roll. And then God calls him to a cave. Why a cave? Why did he send Elijah to a cave? Pretty simple. He needed Elijah to be alone, to be a place where no distractions were, to where when God spoke, Elijah could, look, could hear, he could listen. So we're going to pick up in 1 Kings 19, 9 through 18. And it says, There he went to a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, 
I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And that is so not the right one. Oh, it is. Okay, I'm good. Sorry, guys, I'm tired. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram, and also anoint Jehu son of Nishmi king over Israel, and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel Maloah, to succeed as your prophet. Yehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Yehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths had not kissed him. Elijah was at the end of his rope. He was done. Jezebel was after him. They were trying to kill him. He, he was done. He was like, Lord, just take me. Just take me. But that's not what God does. And that's not what God does in our lives either. A lot of times we don't even realize when we're in that valley. We don't understand or comprehend with everything that's going on around us that God has already sent his angels to care and to build back up. But God didn't say, all right, Elijah, you're good, you're fed, you're watered, you're rested. Jump back in there. He gave him something else. He gave him the whisper. And guys, I would love, love to stand here and tell you that God is going to speak that powerful voice just when you need it. But he doesn't. God didn't come through the fire. He didn't come through the earthquake. He didn't come through the thunder. He didn't come through the wind that was powerful enough to break rocks. He came in that whisper. So as we were talking to the girls that particular day, we were talking about social media, we were talking about lives outside of camp and what it looked like. And the question was, where do you go? Where do you go when you need to hear from God? 
Do you have that quiet place? Can you quiet your mind enough to hear him when he speaks? God speaks in the whisper to get us closer to him. He wants us to lean into his presence and sit with him. He wants our undivided attention. Are we giving him that now? Do we have that place where we go to give him our undivided attention? A place without our cell phone going off. A place where we don't worry about emails, phone calls, what's for dinner, how much laundry do I have piled up? Did I wash all of Gabe's clothes from camp, right? Are we entering into those quiet times? Are we opening ourselves to listen to what God is saying? Now, that was day one. And I already knew that I was in trouble on day one. Because sometimes, y'all know me, my life is a little ADD. So sitting quietly for me is a task in and of itself, let alone stepping into a moment with God with no distraction. But Tuesday came. And it was in the middle of this lesson that God spoke in the whisper, in the middle of me teaching the lesson. Ashley's across the room. They're sitting in a, the girls are sitting in a circle in between Ashley and I, and our other, our third adult is sitting kind of over here. And it got to the point where I couldn't speak. Tears were coming so hard and so fast that they were just plopping to the cement floor and I couldn't pull myself together. So you ask, well, Tanya, what was the lesson you were learning? Elisha answers the call and empties his hands. I answered the call a couple years ago. And God has a call on all of our lives. Not everyone is called to preach. Not everyone is called to sing. But we are all called to do something. Sometimes our calling is our career. Because you can be Jesus in that career just like you can be Jesus in your everyday life. Elijah was running hard and fast for God. And he called Elisha simply by placing his cloak on his shoulders. That was it. There was no conversation. There was no, well, let's do this, let's do this, we got to go here. Elijah simply walked up to Elisha, placed his cloak on his shoulders, and Elisha knew knew. It took me years to know 
And he knew. So we're going to go back to 1 Kings. We're going to be in chapter 19, and we're going to read 19 through 21. So Elisha went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, and he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. And he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him, and Elisha left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen. He slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he sent out to follow Elijah and become his servant. Elisha emptied his hands in order to receive the calling God was passing on to him. Just like Elisha, we can't walk into our calling if our hands aren't empty. If we are still holding tight to things in our hands, we can't follow God and continue to do what we want to do or even what we're currently doing. Elisha burned his plow. There was no turning back. He took his livelihood. He took everything he knew. He burned it. They ate it. And he left. For this particular experience, we had a plow that we were to write things we were still holding on to. I can tell you that there are people in this room that are still holding tight. I was one of them. Ashley thought she was going to have to carry me for a while. Doubt, fear, insecurity. We all have those. We all have those. Anxiety. Control. Are we still holding on to control? So what do you need to lay down? What do you need to burn and walk away from? Because if we can't stand with empty hands to receive God's calling or even his blessing, then we're preventing from walking in the life that God created us for. For the first time in my life, I refuse to pray at camp. Why? Because I was still holding on to doubt. I was still holding on to those insecurities. 
that I am not who God called me to be. And I wasn't the only one, was I, Emma? We all found out real quick that we're still holding on to things that God has freed us from. And if you think it's powerful, you should watch some 6th, 7th, and 8th graders unpack some things going on in their lives. But on a side note, I burned the plow. Ashley prayed with me over that plow. And I'm working through those things. Lesson four. Are we settling for less? 2 Kings 2, 6 through 10. Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. And the water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Sorry. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taking from you, you will be, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. That was a huge, huge moment. Elijah was giving Elisha pretty much a blank check. One thing, what do you want is yours. And Elisha could have asked for a lot of different things, right? He could have asked for money. He could have asked for fame. He could have asked for fill in the blank. But he asked for a double portion. He wanted a double portion of Elijah's spirit. He wanted to be used powerfully by God, double what Elijah was. To experience the presence of God in that closeness that Elijah had with him. Oh, it went away. Sorry, I mashed a button. To transform his culture and turn people back to the one true living God. So the question was asked, how do you know if we're striving for that double portion? Or if we're just settling for less? We had to look at our three T's. Where do we spend our time? Where do we give our talents? And what do we do with our treasures? We all have a talent. We all have a gift that God gave us. We all have it. Some of us, it's the gift of gab. Some of us love to talk. For others, we're a little bit more artistic. I'm with you, Bethany. It's all right. That's, your, that's, a, that's a talent. It's a gift. 
For some of us, we're artistic. We like to paint. We like to draw. We're musical. The list goes on and on. But are you using that talent for God? Or are you using that talent just for you? What about your time? Where do you spend it? Do you spend it with God? Do you spend it on godly things? Are we playing video games 15 hours a day when we're awake? I'm looking at Gabe, but he's not in here. What are we spending our time on? What about our treasures, those resources that we have, money, things? Are we using those for God? Are we building God up with those things? Or are we just going with the, hmm, the mundane life and settling for down here when God has given us up here? John Wesley, for those of y'all that don't know who he is, he was one of the founders of the Wesleyan Church. But John Wesley once said, Give me 100 people who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. Are we ready to stop settling for less and accept our plan in his kingdom? We all have a part. We all have a spot in God's family. Let's not settle for less. Let's reach for that double portion. Empty our hands and receive it. Now the fourth lesson was probably in the 13 years I've been going to youth camp, the most powerful moment that I have ever stepped into. Joy was our speaker at camp, Joy Garman, and she spoke on the power of words. We're going to read John 11, 38 through 44. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, that was Lazarus. By this time, there was a bad odor, for he had been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that you may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with the strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus spoke Lazarus back to life. Lazarus got up, 
walked out of the tomb with grave clothes still wrapped around him after being dead for four days. And just like Jesus, our words have power too. They have the power to hurt. They have the power to heal. They have that, the power to break down and build up. They have the power for good and for evil. And the challenge, this was Wednesday night, the challenge that Joy gave us was for 24 hours, could we do good with our words? How often in the next 24 hours could we build someone up instead of tear them down? And I'm going to be honest. There are a lot of times during services I'm not focusing on content because I'm trying to figure out what questions I'm going to ask during youth group time. How do we take it a step further? But as I pulled my notes and I was looking, I didn't have any questions written down that night. I didn't have any what ifs. This is what I wrote. Words have power. Words have influence over other people. What are we saying to ourselves? Do we believe what other people say? Do we believe what we say when we look at ourselves in the mirror when we're getting ready in the morning? And as I debriefed later on, do we hear the words that other people actually say to us, or do we just smile and nod and go on about our lives? That night, Joy called the leadership and the cabin leaders and any adult really that wanted to, to line up on the side of the shelter. And what we did was we gave affirmation to 150 kids as they walked by us. But it didn't end there. She had the kids then get on the line. I think Joy was the last adult. They started and they began to fill in. And it wrapped around the entire shelter almost twice. It circled in and then came out again. So as we spoke affirmation over these kids, every one of them had the opportunity to speak an affirmation back to us. It took about 50 minutes. There were tears. There were smiles. There were hugs. But then there were some kids that were just going through the motions. But as they started hearing over and over and over, you rock, Jesus loves you, you're beautiful, you could watch it begin to sink in. 
And I will tell you that God spoke to Rachel that night as well and gave her an affirmation to go into youth ministry. God gave us a lot of powerful affirmations in the Bible. Words that God says that we are. So here's what I want to do. I want everybody to stand up for me. Yeah, I want you to stand up. I'm going to speak affirmations straight from the Bible. And I want you to hear them. If you need to close your eyes so you can hear better, that's awesome. But I want you to do more than just hear them. I want you to believe them. Because they are straight from the mouth of God. You are a child of God. You are his beloved. You are seen You are holy and blameless. You are marked by God. You are treasured. You are alive in Christ. You are God's masterpiece. You were handpicked. You are healed. You are not forsaken. You are accepted by Christ. You are secure in Christ. You are no longer a slave to fear. You are an heir in the kingdom. You are made in God's image. You are free. You are redeemed. You are victorious. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit's promise. You are gifted. You are seated in the heavenly place with Christ. You are a citizen in heaven. You are one spirit from the Lord. You are a branch of the one and only vine. You are the salt and the light of the earth. You are an ambassador for God. You are loved and you are his. Do not ever forget whose you are. On the mountaintop, in the lows of the valley. God still loves you. God still wants what's best for you. God wants our hands empty so that we can receive everything that he's promised us. Our power in words is enormous. Let us leave here and build up and not tear down. We're going to sing one last song. So if the worship team would join me. You may stay standing or you may sit. They sang this song Sunday night. Gabe just happened to be the one standing beside of me. It's called Same God. And the same God we worship today is the same God that Jacob and Elijah and Mary and Moses and David worshiped. He hasn't changed. He's exactly the same today as he was then. And we can call on that same God 
and he is going to answer. He is going to respond. So as I'm singing, tears are streaming, and my little 13, well, not my little, he's bigger than me, but my little 13-year-old boy is rubbing my shoulder because he doesn't know what to do, but he knows he needs to do something. So the words will be on the screen. I want you to listen. If you don't know the song, it's okay. But listen and know that the same God that was then is the same powerful God now.
to feel your presence and let us always remember that we are yours and you are ours keep us safe till we come back it's in your name we pray amen